listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Good morning. My name is Luann Bagley, and um, my husband Charlie and I serve as we do the monthly communion preparation for you all. We lead life group, and we help with the prayer ministry. So we are glad to be part of Oasis. Yay! Um, Today I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you're looking at that and you're wondering what in the world, it's because I've been wanting to do that for a long time. So that means if you are the one who likes to read publicly, then you need to let me know because it's going to be your turn soon. And if you're not, well, you better practice. (laughs) You better practice. So when Luke says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, he's probably deviating from a a normal chronology. Probably Jesus is not praying immediately after the events that we saw in chapter number 10. He's taking the events that happened between Galilee and his final week in Jerusalem and he's compiling them together, and I believe what he's doing in these chapters between, uh, between chapters uh, 10 and, uh, or 9 and 19, I believe what he's doing is he's showing us that journey, and he's using those scenes to give us Jesus' instruction to the disciples. The things he was teaching them along the way, even as he was communicating the message that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, ready to be revealed in his name, Messiah, Jesus, from Nazareth. 
And so when we have this scene here, it's similar to what we would find in the Gospel of Matthew. The Lord's Prayer, as he would have taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Probably this is a different time. I'm sure they heard Jesus preach and, and, and teach this model prayer, if you will, on the side of that hill there near Capernaum. And I'm sure that, that they heard all of the things that Jesus had to say. And yet now they're coming back and, and they're, they're getting reinforced from him. It says that they were, they were curious to be taught by Jesus in the same way that John taught his disciples. You say, well, I wonder what, what's going on there. Well, it would have been normal for rabbis to teach their students a, a means to pray, e- even a prayer to pray at different times of the day. If you think back to your study in the Old Testament, back to your Sunday school and children's church years in the Old Testament book of Daniel, you'll remember a story about Daniel going to a den of lions. Now, remembering why Daniel was going to the den of lions, might, you might have to dig a little deeper. But it's because the, the other leaders, the other magicians and soothsayers and, and all of those in, those in that same role that Daniel was in were upset that Daniel had the ear and the eye of the king and they were looking to to get rid of him and so they were trying to find something to hold against him well Daniel's character was so uh you know over the top that they were having difficulty finding him do wrong so they decided to catch him in something connected to his God and we learned that Daniel prayed morning, noon, and night, opening the window toward Jerusalem that had been destroyed years ago by the Babylonians in which he was taken captive in those years. And Daniel would open his window and he would pray to the God of heaven. And that was their angle. They tricked the king into making it a law for a month to pray only to him. And anyone who prayed to any other God would be thrown into the den of lions. You know the story. Daniel said, do what you must. I got Got to pray and pray he did and they took him and put him in the den of lions where he slept on those nice fur blankets for the evening with no danger to him and in the morning the king found him very much alive and it's in that tradition that the that the religious leaders of Israel had established this notion of praying morning noon and night and they had normal prayers that they would pray and the rabbis would teach their students a particular nuance on their those prayers and that would identify them as a student of this one or that one so that's probably what the disciples had in mind as they saw Jesus pray at unique times certainly he prayed when everyone else was praying but they would watch him sneak away at different times and be gone, and they would hear him pray. And they were wondering if he might would teach them to pray in his manner, probably thinking Jesus would say, these are the words you need to say. This is the prayer you need to pray at this hour or that one. In fact, that's not at all what Jesus does. In fact, Jesus through this section teaches all believers on how they might pray as far as attitude and focus is concerned, how much they might pray, though I would say that you can't pray too much, and what to expect from that prayer. So as we look at these few verses this morning, let's see a model to follow, a parable for persistence, and a promise for provision. Jesus looked at them in verse 2 and he said to them, 
When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. A model to follow. Certainly, we've all stood at different venues, at at different events, and for different reasons. And we've recited the Lord's Prayer. In fact, if I let it, many of you, if not all, could recite that Lord's Prayer found in Matthew's Gospel. And, and while there's not a thing wrong with that, in fact, I would say that, that that would be a great thing for us to be in the habit of doing often, but, but you know that many things we get into the habit of doing become just that, a habit. A thing we do without not even remembering what we say. Is it possible that you're like me and others in my family who say the blessing the same way every time? We say the blessing, and we've gotten it now where we can say it in half a breath so that we can get to the food that much more quickly. So Jesus wasn't trying to create a habit as much as he was giving them a model to consider as they pray, an attitude to embrace as they came before the God of their creation. Here's what Jesus says. He breaks it down. He says, first of all, I want you to know that you're communicating to a God who is your personal, intimate Father. I know the reality of the fact is that we've not all had great relationships with our Father. And that's a tragedy. That's, That's sad because that wasn't God's intention. If you didn't have a good relationship with your father, I I, I just want to say that I'm sorry. That breaks my heart for you. But I hope that if you that have had a bad relationship with your father are now fathers, that you've broken that cycle. And that you're wanting to be the thing that you did not enjoy in your growing up years. And, And if you had a great father, if you're attempting to be a great father, You know that your desire is for your children to know you and to to be loved by you intimately. Sure, there are times that you have to say, sit down, be quiet, don't say another word, or various other types of scoldings because of the training that you have to do as a parent. But most of all, you want them to know you as a disciplinarian, yes, as someone who is trying to raise them so that they might follow after truth and the way that God has laid out before them, so they might be a success. And ultimately, you want to know them to know you as the man who loves you more than any other male that will ever walk this planet. That's what you want for your children. That's what Jesus wants for us to know. When you pray, are you praying? To the ultimate being of all of the universe but beyond. Because remember, he created the universe. Are you praying to the impossible to fully know being that we call Yahweh, God, the Father? Yes. But you know what he wants you to see him as? The one who loves you. More than anybody else will ever love you. Now it's weird for me 
when the millennial pastors and youth pastors will pray to Daddy God. That's weird. I don't like it. I don't do it. I'm not going to discourage others to do it a lot, but it is weird. But you know what? That's what I call my father. I still call him daddy, and I'm nearly 50. That relationship I have with him wouldn't trade it for anything. And in fact, it is exactly the relationship I pray that I have with my three when they reach that age that they no longer need to hear my speeches and just want to be in my presence. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Father. You know, it ticked the Pharisees off that Jesus talked about God as his Father. Well, they wouldn't have minded if he'd have said, our Father. But when he called him my Father, that set him apart as something different than all other human beings. As though somehow Jesus was more uniquely connected to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob than anyone else is. And in fact, he is. You'll, you'll not ever be connected to God the way Christ is. But you can be connected to God as his child through Christ. Jesus says, I want you to know when you pray, you're communicating with the greatest father. The one who loves you will discipline you, will steer you toward the right path, will tell you to sit down and be quiet, but ultimately wants to embrace you in his strong arms of love. But we say, Father, hallowed be your name. Asking basically, Father, glorify your name. It's something that I want to do, yes, in worship. But ultimately, you know that no no amount of of lifting him up in holiness will, will ever glorify him to the magnitude he deserves. Only he can bring about his own glory to the level of which is satisfactory to him. And so while we should seek and strive and pour out, I'm telling you, you guys were singing this morning. That was awesome. Love it when I hear you guys singing along. It's just, it's amazing. And, and I don't know if you listen to the recordings of the, the live stream that's on Facebook. You need to sometime. You hear, you hear y'all singing with the band. It's awesome. Love it. And while we should strive to do that, we must recognize that Father... What I ultimately want is is not that your glory come from me, but that your name be glorified in yourself. And however you can do that through me, will please help yourself. Father, hallowed be your name. As much as I can, but as much certainly as you will. And however you can through me, we pray for the purpose of his glory in our life. It would make sense why this would be a good prayer to remember every morning. Because then when we step out the door, we remember that everything we do, say, think, every interaction we have can be for the glory of God. And that should be our 
desire. That should be what we seek for. He says, your kingdom come. Pray to your Father whose name deserves to be glorified and pray desiring His will to be accomplished above and beyond all other wills. Most specifically, mine. Your kingdom come. Jesus is preaching a message of the kingdom ready to be revealed. Ready to be inaugurated. Ready for God's will that that is seen and felt and, and it's in fullness in the place where he dwells. That will one day be experienced in its fullness by us who dwell in this place. It's a prayer desiring not the best that I can imagine for me. Not, not the conclusion of all the plans and, and opportunities that I want to come true. Not, not all the, the wishes and, and, and well desires of, of, of you and me and everyone. It's saying, God, ultimately what I want is for your glory and your rule to be experienced where I'm at. And I know it'll be when it's your time, but I'm telling you I'm ready and I want to adjust myself today. To your kingdom. You realize you can do that? Say, so how do I do that? You walk according to the word of Jesus, God the Son. And your actions and your reactions, your thought processes, your, your way of seeing the world will be kingdom-oriented. Though you might not be walking in the kingdom experienced, you'll be seeing the desires of God through your actions and desires. Pray desiring His will to be accomplished above and beyond any others. You know, that includes political parties too, right? We, we want His will more than the will of whatever party we hope wins whatever election because we know those things will burn up. They have no eternal value whatsoever, but He does. And we desire Him. We pray asking for what we need. Give us each day our daily bread. We're asking for what we need. And recognizing that it all comes from Him. Whatever we need that we have, we can say, well, good job going out and working hard. And you know what? A good work ethic is awesome. It's a great way to worship using what God has given you in the arenas that God has given you to, to, to work and to, to generate and to, to represent Him. It's what He designed. But we walk away from there knowing that at the end of the day, if there's any credit to be given out, it don't come to me. It comes to Him. Because if it weren't for Him, I wouldn't have breath in my lungs. I wouldn't have cords in my throat that would go back and forth. I wouldn't have a math brain or an English brain or a, 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 an artistic mind. I wouldn't have that. It all comes from Him. So, Father, I want Your will to be accomplished, and I want Your name to be glorified. And, and ultimately, I want to trust You today. There's going to be all kinds of folks out there telling me if I'm going to have what I need, that i got to make my way. They're going to be talking about bootstraps and me picking myself up by them. And I'm not really sure how that looks. It doesn't work according to physics. But they're going to say I need to do it. But God, what I want to say is my needs are supplied through you. 
And that's what I want. I want you to provide my needs. Oh, I got some wants, and, and I'll tell you about those too. But I also know that, that if I try to get them wants and it's not what I need, I'm going to end up with a lot of heartache. So, Father, help me to know that needs are better than wants. Give me what I need for today. And then I ask for what I need when it comes to my spiritual predicament. And forgive us our sins. Anybody know that Jesus died in our place for our sin to pay for our sin? Past, present, future, all wrapped up in his death and resurrection, all paid for. Anybody believe that in the house today? Yeah. Anybody also know that the reality of your existence is you sin every day? A lot. A lot. There's never been a day, if you know Jesus is Savior, that you've lived apart from sin. Just you thinking that's a pretty big one. And you know that Jesus has taught that what sin does in the life of family is it puts distance between us and our Father. It's just like when we're being raised. You know, parents have their rules, they have their stuff. We walk apart from the rules. There's distance, there's, there's trouble. But ultimately, what are the parents wanting to do? Bring them in back to right fellowship. What does that require? It requires admitting that you knew the rule and you broke it. Or maybe you didn't realize the rule, but it don't matter. You still broke it and you want forgiveness because you want that relationship to be restored. It's the same way in the family of God. Jesus says what you need to do as a a normal routine is to recognize And confess your sin. You know what God loves for us to do? Is to tell him what he already knows about the sin we committed. Because you know what that tells him? That tells him we get it. Now he knows our heart. You say, Pastor Kevin, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. But there's something healing to you saying it out loud. There's something healing in you confessing your transgression. You confessing your sin. Saying, God... You know, I lied about that. I, mean, I know you know I lied about that, but I want you to know that I know it was a lie, and I don't want to do that anymore. God, you know I blew up at him today. I, I know you was there. I know you were listening. I know you weren't pleased then. I felt it then. But I just want to tell you that, that I know that blowing up on them, well, that wasn't love. It didn't look like love at all. It just looked like me releasing, dumping the truck, and that was ugly. And God, I just want to tell you that I get it. Now, we also know it's not in this text, but we also know what needs to come after that, right? After we tell God that we know we messed up, guess who else we need to tell? The one we hurt. You know, a lot of times that's harder because we, we know God is, is all-knowing, and we know He free. That's why I saw all the time. You, you'll talk with someone, and, and they'll mess up, and you'll say, hey, we need to make this right. And they'll go, oh, I already made that right. Well, no, no, you hadn't, because you upset them, and they're still upset, and that's not been made. Yeah, but I confess my sin to God. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Well, now you need to fix it with them. They're a whole lot harder to fix things with than God is because we know God's forgiveness is complete and it's instantaneous and it's not going to hold a grudge it's not going to try to you know walk away from me even after we thought we'd settle sometimes it's like I don't want to do that we need to do that 
You know when you're not going to do it? You're not going to do that unless you first make it right with God. She says, you need to recognize when you pray to your father, it's going to be a great time anytime to just clear up all those things that you know, that you transgressed, and you just want to say, Father, I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness, and I thank you for it. And then on the heels of that, you can say, because we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, does that sound like a true statement? Not often. Like, how many times have you gone to the Father and said, Father, I need your forgiveness because I've already forgiven everybody who hurt me? You go, yeah, I'm not saying that a lot. Right, neither am I. I think that's why Jesus put it there. He put it there as a model for us to say so that it will put us on the spot to do what needs to be done. Do we want God to forgive us? Of course we do. Does God promise to forgive us as his children? Of course he does. And then what does he say? He says, look, if I'm going to forgive you, then I want you to forgive others. You remember that parable he told, Jesus told about the the guy who who owed the king like $10 million? And it was due, like today. He called accounts, and the guy's like, if you just give me a couple of days, I'll get what what, what you need. Anyway, that guy was going to raise $10 million in a day? Oh, it was impossible. But the king looked, had compassion on him. He's like, you know what? I'm going to forgive the whole debt. I'm going to wipe it clean. Like, I wish that king worked at my bank. (laughs) I got a mortgage I'd love for you to do that on. Yeah, amen. Okay, but he's like, no, I'm wipe that clean. It's a, you don't owe me nothing. The guy's like, seriously? Like, seriously, go enjoy your life. Go home to your wife and kids. The guy goes out. He finds somebody that owes him, him, you know, a few hundred bucks. And he grabs him by the neck, and he's like, where's my money? And the guy says, well, yeah, I, I, listen, I can get it. If you just give me a couple of days, I get it. The guy's like, I ain't got a couple of days. Somebody take him to prison. Get this guy out of my face. The king heard about it, and he's like, oh, no, he didn't. Brought, that was, that's contemporary. The king did, Jesus didn't say that. <clears throat> king brought him. He's like, who do you think you are? Going out there demanding the, the thing that I forgave you so much more. I'm going to teach you a lesson, son. I'm going to put you in prison so that you'll learn how to forgive others in the same way that you've been forgiven. Jesus said it would be a great way when you're praying to remember there's never going to be a time that you don't need to be asking God to forgive your sin because you sin a lot. And while you're there, let that be an opportunity to remind you of who you need to forgive that has sinned against you. We ask for what we need, confessing our need for constant forgiveness and releasing others for how they've offended us through forgiveness. One more thing. Does forgiveness mean what they did was okay? No. Does forgiveness take them off the hook of the consequences that come for their actions against us? No. Doesn't take them off the hook. Consequences are consequences. You know what it does? It releases me from holding that judgment over them that I'm not qualified to hold. It it releases me from seeing them as somehow more of a sinner than I am because of what they did to me. It, It gives me the opportunity to go, God, they hurt me like I've hurt you. And I know you don't say it's okay, but I'm going to let go of this because you've let go of mine.
And then I'm going to hope that you're going to handle that however you see fit. It's okay. David was constantly asking God to mess with those that were chasing him. I mean, grinding up gravel in their mouth and chilling. I'm like, David, really? Dude, that's gross. That's harsh, man. That's cruel. But at the end of the day, David's like, no, but I know. But God, you do. You do what you do. Even if that means breaking their heart and drawing them to yourself. But we could spend a lot of time there. He lastly says that we are to seek deliverance and protection from temptation. And lead us not into temptation. Now, now don't, don't mess up what's, what's being said here. God never leads us into temptation. You know, like a father would take a kid and push him over in the swimming pool to teach him how to swim. Why would y'all do that? It's just cruel. It's not like God's... Go- you, some of y'all did that, don't you? You need to ask your children for forgiveness. <laughs> they are holding a grudge, or I'm telling you. They telling that story, and they don't like it. God never leads us and says, He goes, Satan, mess with him, tempt him, try to make him fall. He didn't do that. Well, what they're saying is, is God, lead us with a protected hand. When we go into temptation, well, we're going to go into temptation, you know, God, but, but, but listen, deliver me from it. Walk with me through it. G- give me clear ears to, to hear you. Like when you're walking with someone in the mall and you don't have a lot of time and you're holding their hand and you got to get what you got to get because you got somewhere you got to be and you're walking along and they look in the store and they're like, oh, I like that. But you're holding their hand. You're like, not today, not today. You're walking along. Lead me not into the Macy's of temptation. Deliver me from that purchase. Okay. But Jesus said, you know you're going to face it. So ask God for it. Tell him you already know the temptation's going to be there today. Y'all know what that is. We don't have time to describe what that is, but you know what that is. There are some temptations that you know you face every day. And and you can't get away from it unless you somehow live in a bubble. And you know you can't live in a bubble. Because you've got to go to work. You've got to go home. You've got to go in your office. You've got to go around. Whatever. You know it's going to be waiting on you tomorrow morning. Or tomorrow, whatever time, he's like, Lord, walk with me through that. Deliver me through it. You know it's going to be there. Help me to feel your hand and mine to pull me away from that for your glory. Jesus said, those are the kinds of things you need to be praying about. Those are the kinds of things you need to be focused on. God's agenda. The things he wants. Not that you've got to say these words, but know who you're talking to. Desire he be glorified. Invite his will into your life to overtake your will. Recognize you need his forgiveness. Recognize you need his provision. Recognize you got business to do with others. And tell him you need help with it. And remind him you know you need deliverance from temptation. That's just a great way to pray and then Jesus after giving us a model to follow shows us a parable 
about persistence. And, and, and here's what he said. Which of you has a friend? Well, they all have a friend. So like Jesus is like, okay, cool. The friend will go to him at midnight. So friend one goes to friend two at midnight. And he says, friend two, lend me three loaves. Now, why does somebody need three loaves of bread at midnight? Y'all know you're not supposed to be eating after 8 o'clock, okay? It's just going to make you fat, and you know you just don't need to do it. So why do we need three loaves at midnight? Well, he tells us, verse 6, because a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. Again. Who's showing up at your house at midnight? But, you know, I don't, maybe they got hung up in traffic. I don't know. But he says, I've got a friend that has shown up, and the bread that I had made for today has already been eaten. And, and, and I, don't, I don't yet have bread made for tomorrow. It's, it's like midnight. It's an inconvenient time. But one of the greatest things about the Jewish culture was their determination toward hospitality. I mean, they are a hospitable people. That whole culture is, not just the Jewish people, but the, but the, uh, the Palestinians, all, all of those individuals in that area of the, the, of the world, the Near East, they're all driven by hospitality. And friend one knew that, that to be a good friend to friend three... He needed to provide not only a place for him to lay his head, but he also needed food to put in his belly, and he was determined to be a good host. Friend two, Jesus says, is going to answer from within. Don't bother me. What are you doing? Go away. Leave me alone. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. Now, they're not sleeping with him, but they are sleeping in the home. And those homes weren't big. So basically what he's like, he's like, I finally got these kids asleep. If I, and what, but he's yelling, so that seems to be contradictory. I finally got these children asleep. If I get up, I'm going to wake them up. So leave me alone. I don't have time to help you. Jesus like, you know, he kind of smiles and he goes, I'll tell you. Though he won't get up to give him anything because he's his friend, verse 8. Yet because of his impudence. Okay, this this word impudence, it, it, it most often means like rudeness, audacity, lack of respect. That's what it typically means. It's only used this one time in the New Testament. But it also can mean persistence. And so Jesus like... You, y'all know what happened. Your buddy who's being inconvenienced, he not going to want to get up even though he's your friend. I mean, he's your friend. He's not going to like, ah, I've got more stuff. I don't really, ah. But because of your persistence, hey, look, I know you don't want to get up. You're being a jerk. Get up, man. I got somebody to host. I need you to get up. Yeah, you know, it's, it's on me now. If you're going to make me look bad. Didn't know he was coming. He's here. I need you to help me. He ain't trying to stay at your house. He's standing at mine. Give me some bread. Jesus says, because of your persistence, this jerk of a friend will rise and give you whatever you need. And you can hear him too, can't you? Daddy, what's going on? It's like, ah, I'm going to have to get you. And so he gets you what he needs. Here's your bread. Go away. Now, what is Jesus doing? Is he saying, God's like this mean old 
neighbor who has the means to help you, but just don't want to be bothered. Is that what Jesus was saying? Of course not. But isn't that how we think about God sometimes? Don't we kind of think about him as, now Lord, this is a big deal. I know you can do it. And I need you to do it, and I've got, a, I've, I've got it right here how I need it, okay? I need this, and then this, and give it 24 hours, and then I'm going to need this, this, and this. Well, that's optional, but I'd sure love to have it. I know you can do it. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, and I don't need to even need cattle. I need you to do this for me, God. And then you know what we have in the back of our mind? He ain't going to do it. He can he can, he's not going to because he's, you know, he, I, I, I guess he just don't care about me. That's how we think about it, isn't it? It's how we act. It's how we pout. But Jesus wasn't saying that. He was going, yep, y'all know what's happening, right? Friend one needs and he just keeps on. I'm not going away until you help me. I know you got bread. Give me some bread. He gets up, gives him what he needs. He says, and I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. We see a model to follow. We see the parable for persistence. You know, you gotta, you, you got to demonstrate to God that you mean business. Let your persistence demonstrate your commitment to the need. It's a good commitment. You've got hospitality to do. He's called you to be a good neighbor. And you know what that looks like, so keep asking because you're asking for the right thing. But then he says, I've got a promise for you. It's a promise for provision. Now, I took Greek in seminary, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I forgot all of it. Well, I forgot most of it, okay? So I'm having to constantly uh, rely on folks that were really good and didn't forget it. I don't even know what Hebrew was about. That stuff's weird, but I took classes. God's grace got me through, amen? But what I understand from those who are more proficient in the Greek language is that when Jesus uses these three imperatives, ask, seek, knock, You know what imperative is? It's do it. Do this. It's like a teacher who says, sit down. That's imperative. Do what I say. But when you follow that imperative with an indicative just after it, which is ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you when you combine those three, which are for emphasis. I mean, is there really a lot of difference between asking, seeking, knocking? No. So what is he doing? He's emphasizing it. This, this, this is what I want you to do. And when you follow those imperatives with an indicative, it's like if you will only ask... I guarantee he'll give it to you. If you will only seek, I guarantee you'll find. If you'll only knock, I guarantee it'll be opened to you. He says, for everyone, verse 10, who asks, receives. 
And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And you're sitting there going, oh yeah? Awesome, Lord. I need a million dollars. I need a million dollars. I need a million dollars. When's it show up? You've missed the point. I'll take you back to the model. What does he say? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your name be glorified in my life. Your decisions about what I need, may that be the case. And when you go to the Father and you say to him, Father, I need this. And you don't just leave it there. You go back at lunchtime. Father, I'm back again. I need this. You come back again, maybe on behalf of your brother or your sister. Father, they need this. And you can provide and you can meet that need. I want your will to be accomplished. But I'm asking you to move on their behalf. Move on my behalf. God, move this mountain. Meet my need according to your will. As best I can see it, this is what I need, God says. I hear you, son. I hear you, daughter. You can bank on it. That I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Without fail. Every time. Now, what we got to be careful of is backing up, kicking dirt around because God didn't do what he said he would do. Every one of his children who ask receives. Every one of his children who seeks, find. Every one of his children who who knocks, it will be open to them. He never said he'd do it your way. But he'll always do it the best way. He said, I got, listen, it's a promise of provision. God's always going to do. Now, sometimes God chooses to do like he did with Joseph. Joseph had a dream. God was going to exalt him. He was going to be exalted above his brother. He was even going to be exalted higher than his father and mother. Made them mad. Boy, they was mad about that. You know what God did? Exactly that. After he was dropped in a pit. So that he could be sold into Egypt. So that he could be lied about. By some racy woman that got him thrown into jail so that he could be put under the jail. So that he could be forgotten by the baker who got sent up or the, I don't know which one it was. Was that a baker, candlestick, maker? I don't know which one it was. They forgot about him. So that when push come to shove, somebody could remember, oh yeah, there's a dude that knows a God who could probably tell you about what your dream meant, O king. And Joseph could say, yeah, king, the famine's coming. Oh, well, in that case, let me exalt you. You say, well, see there, God did what he said. Uh huh. Through a lot of heartache. Was any step of that heartache, was any of that something that we could hold against God as somehow wrongdoing? Not a step. So when we ask and seek and knock, we need to do so 
expecting an answer. Now, the answer might not look like we want it to, but it will always be best, and it will always be right. I think about James chapter number 4, verse number 2. The last part of that verse says, you don't have because you don't ask. I wonder how many things we leave on the table that God would love to do for us. Because we're too busy worrying about how we're going to make our way ourselves. And he says, well, okay. I'll let you do that. You're going to be frustrated, but okay. Then Jesus tells a final story, a final parable. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, all he's doing is saying, y'all don't know a good father who would give their children something dangerous when they ask for food. What good father's going to hand a kid a snake instead of something to eat? What good father's going to hand their kid a scorpion that's going to stand? You know it doesn't happen, and you are evil at best. So here's what you can count on. You can count on God to always give what is good and best, even if it's not what we ask him for, and even if it's not when we ask him to do it. Y'all count on evil fathers to do the right thing. He's your heavenly father. Holy, righteous, and ready. And he'll give you exactly what you need. Every time. And then he says, he won't even hold back the Holy Spirit. I think about Ezekiel 36, Joel 2 where God talked about sending and pouring out his spirit on his people, I think what Jesus was saying is, is that your father will give you what you need, even the Holy Spirit that was promised, to pique their interest, to cause them to say, is it time for that? Not quite. But hang in there. It's really close. So I don't know what you need to hear today, but, but here's some of the things that I want to encourage you to. Number one, let's just decide to pray more this week. I mean, after hearing what we've heard, di- di- didn't we all come to the realization that we just don't really pray enough? We're trying to do life all by ourselves. We're trying to do life complaining to one another, and we're trying to do life telling the world about it on the social media, and we're trying to make our way, and we're frustrated and aggravated. God's like, you want to call your daddy? I mean, I can still, he's in his 70s now. If I have a need, it's like in my favorites. One button. I can call daddy and say, hey, daddy, I got a need. And I guarantee, he might not be able to meet it, but I guarantee you he'll say, what do we got to do? You know why? Because he's my father. He wants what's best for me. And he'll do whatever he can to ensure that that best is done. Our heavenly father has no limits and he's always going to do what's best. So I think we need to decide to pray more this week. It's the most, uh, not the most, it's one of the most powerful arenas of spiritual warfare you'll face. You know why? 
Because the enemy also knows that whoever asks, receives, and whoever seeks, finds, whoever knocks, has it open. And he don't want you having that kind of response from your father. Because he knows he start answering your needs, you'll start going to him more often. And you start going to him more often, then he won't have near the stronghold in your life. So he don't want us to pray. He don't want to remind us to do that. But I say, let's just decide. We're going to do some more praying this week. And then let it roll into next. Number two. Let's pray believing that God is our loving, good Father who hears us and will certainly answer. That's called faith. Believing that what we ask, He will do in His way at His time. Number three, let's be committed to being persistent in our requests for our needs and the needs of others. As God bring these things to our heart, let's be persistent. Let's keep on asking. Let's keep on knocking. Let's keep on seeking. Let's show him that we're committed to the need and that we want him to provide. And that it's that important to us that we're just going to keep asking. Number four, let's be confident that God will always give us the right and best answer at just the right time. And then number five, let's thank God in advance for his faithful provision even before it comes. Whatever it is, however it is, and whenever it is. Let's just go ahead and thank him in advance. We tell him what the need is. We're going to keep telling him. We're going to keep coming to him. And then we're going to say, and God, I believe you're going to meet it. And I want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Because you made a promise to me, and I'm going to count on it. And I'm going to be okay with whatever you decide. Do we need to pray some more this week? You bet we do. So let's start right now. Let's stand together. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking. So let's just do a little experiment. How many of you have a need that you've been trying to address on your own? That you know right now. I just need to pray about this and keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. Raise your hand. Just hold it up. Nobody's looking at you. This is a first step. You're just holding it right there. You're just holding it. And and guess who? You ain't looking. Guess who is? The one who knows that need. And he says, I see that hand. Son or daughter. Boy, I want to meet that. Right now in his presence, in your heart, it starts, Father, I want you to be glorified. I want people to see you and me. I want your will, not my will. God, I want you to move in this. Tell him what it is. God, I need you. Father, I need what, what you think is best. And I'm going to trust you with it. And I need you to forgive me. And you fill in the blank. 
Father, I need you to help me forgive. And you fill in the blank. And then, God, I know the temptation is going to be for me to forget that I've given this to you. Lead me away from that. Help me to trust you and keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on believing that you're going to answer. Father, we thank you for your, your children. We thank you for brothers and sisters. It's love that we can be together. Father, I pray that you'll give us the courage to share our needs with one another so that we might intercede on behalf of one another. So that we might ask, seek, and knock on behalf of our brothers and sisters that we love. Give us courage to do that. We could continue to do that. And then God, build in us a body that is confident that you're going to move and that we're going to trust and wait on you to do it. And we're going to thank you in advance for how you're going to move. Whenever that is, however that is, in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, we ask that you'll take us and use us in whatever way you see fit today. Whatever you want to do, that's what we want. We need you. We ask that you'll use us for your glory. While we wait on your Son, our Savior, our risen King returning one we say all things in his name and all the voices church said